Thank you, thank you, both of you, thanks. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas on this last Sunday before we celebrate Christmas. I'm looking forward to celebrating in the second service and then tomorrow night for our Christmas Eve service. Last night, oh, you should have been here last night. It was just an incredible moment in prayer, and um, I'm so thankful for this holiday season. I, um, I was... I subscribe to several newspapers that I just try to scan and pull out articles that I think are important uh, for us and, and understanding our faith. But um, a writer in the New York Times that I've always followed, Nicholas Kristof, who is, uh, to my knowledge, is not a believer, but he interviewed Dr. William Lane Craig yesterday. And those of you who have read the book that we gave you here, The Case for Christ, The Case for the Creator by Lee Strobel, and then I think last year we gave the book The Case for Christmas, didn't we, Pastor Rick? Uh, Lee was an atheist. He was a journalist for the New York Times, excuse me, for the Chicago Tribune, and uh, there's a great movie out about his life if uh, you'd like to, to watch that. But Dr. Craig was one of the men that he interviewed, and, and Nick Kristoff asked him in the Times, he says, do you really believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin? And uh, Craig's response to him was, when I was a non-Christian, I used to struggle with this too, but then it occurred to me that if God could create the entire universe, making a woman pregnant wasn't that big a deal. Given the existence of a creator and a designer of the universe for which we have great evidence, an occasional miracle is child's play. Historically speaking, the story of Jesus' virginal conception is independently attested by Matthew and Luke and is utterly like anything in pagan mythology or Judaism. So what's the problem? And Christoph had no answer for that. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for that today. I am, wow. <clears throat> and one other thing at the end of this, it's a great article in the Times yesterday, but at the end of the article, um, Christoph had something really, I think, important to say. He said, Dr. Craig, you're an evangelical Christian, but let me acknowledge that religious people donate more to charity than non-religious people and also volunteer more. I am so thankful that that can be said of Woodland. Even this week, I've had people come and talk to me about what our church has done, not only in the community, but what we're doing around the world. And I am so thankful for your generosity, for the way you volunteer and the way you serve. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand one more time with me this morning before we go to the Word of the Lord. And I want us to pray. Heavenly Father, I have had people coming up to me this week in our community that like Nick Kristoff of the Times. They've got good questions, and that's okay, as we're going to see from your word this morning. Lord, they're kind people, but at this point, they haven't seen their need to be saved, Lord, to be forgiven of their sins. And so as Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because of the lostness of the people there, as Paul pled and prayed for lost people and encouraged us to pray, we're asking you this morning in Jesus' name, God, for all of our friends and our family members who haven't come to faith yet, God, would you open their hearts and minds to the great truths of the gospel? May their questions lead them to faith. May they not use their questions to keep from believing. And I pray in Christ's name that, Lord, you're going to make every invitation. 
every friend, every relative, every cousin, God, every neighbor, that you're going to just put a desire in them to come this Christmas season and to understand what it's really all about. And I ask this morning as well, Lord, for pastors and preachers around the world and congregations around the world, as we gather on this final Sunday before Christmas, this last Sunday of Advent, and we worship and we glorify you, I pray, Lord, for open hearts and open eyes. I pray, Lord, for the power and the genuine demonstration of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As the Apostle Paul prayed, Lord, and as he wrote in the Word, we pray it will not be with the eloquence of man's wisdom, but, Lord, it will be through the power of the Holy Spirit that people are drawn to you. Now, God, we set ourselves before you to hear the Word of the Lord and we ask your blessings upon it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And I have permission to do what I'm going to do next. I am happy to announce to you that there is another engagement in our congregation. And not many times do I get taken aback. But Zach, you took me really back. But I'd like you, to, you and Rachel, if you would, to stand up this morning. Zach and Rachel, I will be beginning their premarital counseling when I get back from Christmas break, and um, they're getting married in April. Isn't that exciting? Let's give them a warm hand. God bless you. You can be seated. Thanks, Zach. It's good to see you and Rachel this morning, and uh, we had a good time visiting. My only question was, Rachel, why Zach? Uh, come see me later. I can give you some good reasons. They're a great couple. I enjoy talking to them. Rachel's from the west side of the state, and they met in a Christian camp that they work with um, children who have problems and issues, and uh, they've both given themselves to that. Well, I've titled this morning's message, Christmas Faith, and Pastor Corey, thank you for reading the scripture this morning. Mary, I, a number of years ago, I became real interested in just taking the different characters of, of the Christmas story and began just doing a biographical study. Everything I could find in the Bible and everything that I could find that had been written and trying to sort out sometimes the things that people say and attribute that perhaps there's not a, a biblical or historical record for. But Mary just kind of fascinated me. And there's all kinds of convictions about Mary. There are some people who pray to Mary. I think that's extra biblical. I don't think there's anywhere in the Word where we're called to pray to Mary. Uh, there are some people that believe she's a co-redemptress. I don't think there's anywhere in the Word where we're called to believe that she's a co-redemptress. All of that is things that have been added, and therefore there's been sometimes like a cult built around Mary. When Becky and I were in Rome, we often found people who were into every saint and talking to everybody, including Mary, without coming to Jesus. And yet it's Jesus who says, come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's Jesus who taught us to go directly to the Father through his name and to pray, our Father which art in heaven, which was a radically different approach to faith than what Jews would have thought about at that time. It's Jesus who also said that he and the Father would come and dwell in our hearts by the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit. But having said all of that, I have a great deal of respect and admiration and love for Mary. I'd like to read you some this morning from the King James Version just simply because I love the poetry of it and I grew up with it and at Christmas I can't help 
think in terms of King James English when we begin to read these scriptures. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 28, the Bible says, And the angel came in and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. As I pondered that verse and watched the story unfold, and we don't have every little detail in the Bible. I mean, I'm sure that conversation was much longer than the brief passage that Pastor Corey read to you this morning. But we have the, the summary. We have the synopsis. We have an accurate recording of what took place. But Mary taught me how to think, and Mary taught me how to ask good questions. She taught me that being a Christian wasn't having blind faith. And blind faith is where people just step out, and for no reason whatsoever, they begin to put their trust into someone. It's kind of like when two people meet in Las Vegas, and both of them are drunk, and both of them decide they're going to get married. They blindly put their faith in each other and go to a chapel, pay someone to marry them, and think they're going to be able to build a life together. Blind faith is what one actress said about her husband that she was divorcing, her third husband that she was divorcing. I had blind faith in him. What she was saying, I really didn't know him. I couldn't trust him. Mary didn't have a blind faith. Mary obviously was a woman with an informed faith, a young woman with an informed faith. It's like one of the children that were baptized here at Woodland. We don't baptize children here. Um, We don't do infant baptism. We do infant dedication, but we don't do infant baptism because we find no place in the Scripture to support infant baptism. Baptism seems to be a decision in the Scriptures that people make once they decide to give their hearts to Jesus Christ. And so if that person happens to be a child and they can tell us with some reasonable assurance that we have that they understood that Christ has died for their sins, there's been this conviction of sin, that they know they need a Savior. I know my wife, Becky, became a follower of Jesus Christ when she was a child. She was, I believe, nine years old when she confessed her faith in Christ and and knew that she was going to be in ministry someday. I was older when that took place in my life, but I had the advantage of Growing up in a Christian home, I had the advantage of praying with Christian parents nightly in our family room. I had the advantage of being taken to church and people coming because I was born crippled. I had the advantage of people coming to our home and praying with me, pastors. I had the advantage of even having doctors that were Christians. But Mary taught me how to deal with the questions I had as a young man and as a young pastor especially when I got out of that Christian ghetto and Christian bubble that I had lived in because I went straight from a Christian home to a Christian college. And then when I began to work in mental health, then suddenly the world was very different working in mental health, working with doctors and nurses and counseling with patients and then working in the world and rubbing shoulders outside of the Christian ghetto that I lived in and hearing people's questions. Hearing people sit down and ask me questions, how can you be sure? How do you know there's a God? And of course, I had the advantage. I didn't see it as an advantage then, but I see it as an advantage now. I didn't give God thanks for it then. I give God thanks for it now because there were not people that could argue with my testimony. There were doctors who looked up my health records and saw that I had indeed been crippled, and they saw indeed the things that had happened in my life, and I could tell them. And then I would hear this popular phrase that I'm sure that you've heard from time to time. 
well, faith is good for you, and I'm glad it works for you, but it doesn't work for me, and I'm sure you've heard that. Or sometimes you'll hear this kind of phrase, well, I think religion is great for people who believe in that sort of thing. It's like, I don't believe in it, but if it's good for you, I'm copacetic with that. And living in that world, it just suddenly began to open my eyes to the questions and the pain and the hurt that people dealt with. And so when the angel of the Lord tells Mary that she's highly favored and she's going to conceive the Son of God, the Messiah, everything that Mary had been taught, everything that Mary had been taught was that God was not a man. I mean, when you read your Old Testament, you'll read, God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a man that he should do this or that. You, you find those testimonies. So everything that Mary had been taught was that God was not a man. And so she asked a question, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. How is this going to take place? You know, how am I going to conceive a child? I've, I've never had sexual intercourse with anyone. I've never been intimate with anyone. How am I going to conceive this child? And you might ask yourself, why is, especially as we've gone through some of these stories over and over through the years, you might ask yourself, how is Mary's questions any different than Zechariah's questions? Zechariah questioned and he was struck dumb and could not speak until after John was born, John the Baptist. And if you're not familiar with that story, just go home this afternoon and read Luke chapter 1. But Mary, unlike Zechariah, Mary wanted to believe. Her questions were leading her to believe. Her questions were leading her to faith. There are people with very sincere questions. I had a meal with one of them yesterday. They have very sincere questions about faith and about God. They want to believe, but so far that moment when they've been able to cross the line, as we say here at Woodland, cross the line and confess that their sins, confess that Jesus Christ really was born of the virgin, that Jesus Christ really did live a sinless life, that Jesus Christ really did do miracles and signs and wonders, and that Jesus Christ really did die on the cross and on the third day was raised from the dead, and that he ascended to the Father, and that one day he will return to judge the quick and the dead. You see, for people who have not been raised in a Christian home, for people who are not raised like I was raised, or maybe you were raised, those are questions that boggle their imagination because they have been taught since childhood. This is a material world that we live in. There is no such thing as a supernatural. The supernatural is a slasher movie that you go and see, and then you watch the little credits and the little venues on the end of your DVD of how they made the movie and how the blood appeared, and you're saying, Pastor, I thought you didn't watch those. I didn't. But I've watched other movies with those kinds of things at the end, and I'm curious as how Tom Cruise is able to hang on to an airplane when it's taken off the ground, knowing how fast that happens. Inquiring minds want to know, don't they? And so Mary had an inquiring mind. Mary wanted to know, and her questions were, were she wanted to believe, but Zechariah's questions because he didn't want to believe. I mean, imagine you're... 60 years old, you're 70 years old, and your wife comes up pregnant. That's not kind of the retirement that you had in mind. Or maybe it is. I pray that none of you who are that age get pregnant because your husband's heads would never fit through the doors of this church. You'll get that later. You see, Mary's questions were designed 
so that she could believe. And this is what I learned from Mary. Faith grows gradually. Faith grows gradually. I can confess to you my faith has gone gradually over the years. Faith for me didn't come even though I grew up in a Christian home and I wasn't a rebellious child or anything like that, but I had lots of questions because growing up in the kind of church that I grew up in, I wondered why God didn't do things for me like I saw him doing for other people and why all these things happened. My faith grew gradually, and Mary's faith is growing gradually. There are some of you here that you gradually came to know Jesus Christ. There's people here in our congregation who come Sunday after Sunday, mostly in the second service, and they come Sunday after Sunday, and they've not crossed the line yet, but they have questions, and we, we get together and we talk from time to time. Mary just simply says, how can this happen? And somehow or another, she looks at the angel, and I'm sure there is some dialogue, and I'm sure there's some conversation. And by the way, it wasn't that God had sex with Mary. There's nothing like that even inferred in the word. It was that the Christ was divinely generated, that the word of God, is, as William Lane Craig said in that article in the New York Times yesterday, it was the miracle of the virgin conception. She, Jesus, the Messiah, in order to fulfill prophecies, was not only the son of God, but the son of man as well. But what I like is how Mary looked back, even though she didn't understand, and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Now, don't let that pass you by. Mary and Joseph are at the bottom of the social ladder. Mary and Joseph are at the bottom of the rung. We know they were peasants. And we know that in a small community, in a small town like Mary lived in, if you've never lived in a small town, in a small community, maybe this is not familiar to you, but everybody knows you. Everybody knows your business. Everybody can discipline you. Growing up in the small little community of Rutland outside of Macon, Georgia, where I grew up at, the neighbors had permission to spank everybody else's children. If you misbehaved or sassed or talked back, your neighbor didn't mind taking a belt and wearing out your bottom. You say, that's child abuse. Well, nope, there's got some mighty, mighty fine neighbors that I grew up with and people that have gone on to do something with the Lord. A little love and discipline never hurt anybody. (laughs) That wasn't a part of the message. I didn't plan to say that, but everybody knows. If you're having marriage problems, everybody knows. If you're having a drinking problem, everybody knows. If you're having problems with your crop, everybody knows. And in her community, everybody would have known. Well, Joseph and Mary moved up their date, but you know, she's pregnant. Uh, Something about this is just not lining up. And because of that, they would have been ostracized by the community. They would have been ostracized from worship. Mary knew that by saying, may everything you've said about me come true, is going to come with a price. And friends, this morning, I think that's why for those outside of maybe a Christian home, a Christian school, a Christian college, growing up in a, and I don't mean it as a negative way, but a Christian ghetto, faith maybe comes with a greater cost for them because they realize there is a price to be paid for following Christ. 
You and I grew up and we knew that if you were going to follow Christ, you're going to take up your cross and follow Him. You and I grew up and we heard sermons, we heard Bible studies on all those who will follow me, they're going to suffer persecution. We've heard those stories of how Jesus says, don't be surprised when you're persecuted. We grew to expect that, but people outside of the world, when there are so many religious hucksters and there's so many people with different religions and different beliefs and different faiths are all telling you that if you follow this, you're going to be happy, you're going to be successful, you're going to be wealthy. And Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. That just doesn't sound very attractive in a world where people are easily duped and they're looking for hope. And like the actress I mentioned, they put their blind trust in someone that's only broke their hearts. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That's what Mary was doing. She was professing her faith and her trust in God. One of the things that I love, and I found this to be true in my own Christian walk, and I'm sure you found it to be true in your Christian walk as well, is that during those difficult times and during those trying periods, and just recently I went through one of those times I went to the doctor because of something that was happening, and he looked at me, and I, and I asked him why it was happening. He says, are you under a lot of stress? And I says, at this moment, yes, I'm under quite a bit of stress. But I said, that comes with the territory. I'm used to that. And he says, well, that's why this is happening. This is all stress-related. You see, all of us go through those stressful times. All of us go through those difficult times. All of those go through those difficult periods. But somehow or another, in the sovereignty of God, God always brings, and this is why it is so important to be a part of a small group, and it's so important to be a part of a church fellowship. We really do need each other. Let me say that again. We really do need each other. I need more than just Becky and our four children and my daughter-in-law, and my soon-to-be daughter-in-law, and my grandchildren. I need so much more than that. I need the body of Christ. Yesterday morning, I had an early breakfast meeting, and some folks from the church came in and grabbed me and hugged me. Several of the waitresses came over and grabbed me and hugged me. The man that I was meeting with that doesn't go to our church, he goes, man, everybody hugs you. And I says, it's the church. It's the body of Christ. You have a family he says to me, do you ever miss not being with your family in Georgia for Christmas? He says, oh, we always go home after Christmas. But after, and do you realize this will be our 20th Christmas Eve service, Pastor Rick, Tuesday night? I said, after 20 years here, I said, this is my family. This is, these are my mothers, my brothers, my sisters, my fathers in faith. These are people that I do life with. You see, Christianity is not me and Jesus. We've got our own thing going. It's us and Jesus. It's you and I together, and God brings us into one another's lives to encourage one another and to spur one another on to good works. God did this for Mary. If you look with me at Luke 141 that Pastor Corey read to you earlier, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women. Your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Mom and dad may not have recognized it. The neighbors may not have recognized it. She couldn't tell anyone, but Anne Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, 
the one whose questions were designed to keep him from believing, and Elizabeth having encountered her own miracle, she recognizes something that she would not have known had not the Holy Spirit revealed it to her, that Mary indeed was carrying the Christ child. I've often wondered, and it's okay to let your imagination go. I think that's why some people don't enjoy studying their Bibles anymore. They just read something like it's an encyclopedia, but it's, it's okay to sit there and to imagine what might have happened, what kind of conversation might have taken place. Did Mary break down and cry? Oh, Aunt Elizabeth, you're the only one that knows. Or, oh, Aunt Elizabeth, you're the only one that's been happy. Joseph is, is all tore up and Joseph is all broken. He can't believe. We don't know just exactly when the angel came to Joseph. We, this is a human drama. This is a human story, just like the drama of your life and my life. She's not a drama queen, though. She's just a young girl, and he's a young man. And faith is growing gradually. She ends up, after talking to Mary, saying, singing this song, I won't read all of it to you, but the very last verse, if you can, I don't know who's, Adam, if you can scan down to the very last sentence, for he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. You might wonder, where did that come from in Mary's Magnificent? Where did it come from in the Song of Mary? And this is key because this is how faith grows. Mary knew the Bible. Not Matthew through Revelation that we had, but Genesis through Malachi. Mary knew the Bible. If you read this psalm, you can go back, and if you have a Bible with references in the middle of it, you can go back and you can trace back all of these Old Testament references. You can trace back. Mary knew the word of the Lord. It's not that just Mary is inspired by the Holy Spirit now, but Mary knew the Bible. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. We must be people of the book, and we must be people who sit down with our Bibles and not just read to check off an annual Bible reading list, but ask the good questions. Imagine what happened. So this morning, I would say to you, let's stay filled with wonder at Christmas. Let's stay filled. I, I still shake my head as I think about those two news personalities that I told you about last week who said live and on air, I hate Christmas songs. Me too, I hate Christmas songs. I'll be so glad when Christmas is over. Friends, for the followers of Jesus Christ, Christmas is never over. We adore him each and every day. He lives within our hearts. We stay filled with the wonder that God condescended to become a man and dwell with us, dwell among us. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I hope that you like the gifts that people give you. I hope that you're enjoying giving gifts away but I tell you, long, long after your children have quit playing with the gifts that you bought them, long, long after you can't even remember the tie that your son-in-law gave you, long, long after you have forgotten all your Christmas gifts, the wonder of Christmas will remain in your life because he is alive and he's living. We have talked to him this morning. We have worshiped him this morning. Jesus Christ lives. Hallelujah. John Newton, that wicked slave trader, 
who became a passionate follower of Christ. John Newton, that man who penned the words, Amazing Grace, also wrote another song. Let us love and sing in wonder. I wish I could sing it to you. It's such a beautiful old hymn. Let us love and sing in wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the lost thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood. He has brought us nigh to God. And that's just one of the verses. And if you'd like to know, uh, hear a more contemporary version of that, if you'll email me or text me, I'll be happy to share it with you. I think that's part of what's wrong with maybe some Christian's celebration. Mary stayed filled with wonder. She watched the sun grow. We don't know when Joseph died, but evidently Joseph lived long enough to teach Jesus how to be a carpenter, to teach Jesus how to build. Evidently Joseph lived long enough to be a good father to Jesus. The Bible is not all about telling us all about the biography of Jesus' childhood. We wish that we knew. When we get to heaven, I'm sure we'll know more. But we have enough to know that these parents, though they were filled with wonder, they kept their feet on solid ground. The fact that my heart is filled with wonder and the fact that I believe in miracles and the fact that I believe that God still heals the sick, the fact that when I pray for my grandson Josiah, who at this time is only one of 12 children in the entire world that is known that has the disease that he has, the fact that when I pray over him, and then I bump into somebody yesterday, and they walked over to me, and they said, I just want you to know, I pray every day for your grandson, Josiah. How is he doing? And it just kind of took me back. I'm used to hearing people here tell me. They said, I read your blog. I follow your blog, and then this week, I heard from a lady reading my blog and I had shared part of my story and she's a paraplegic and she wrote me a long letter just to say thank you for reminding me, friends, God is a God of wonders. And if we reduce him to just a God of laws and rules, if we try to put him in a box, he is God. And maybe that's what Christoph was trying to get at as he was questioning Dr. William Lane Craig. I pray for him. I do pray. I ask you to pray for him because he has such a worldwide platform and he seems to be such a, a kind and honorable man, a person who cares about those who've not had it very well in life. But he's asking the questions that my friends are asking. And our questions should lead us not to reasons not to believe. You can't help people who just close their minds. You can't help people who just choose to not believe. Let me remind you of something. Even the devils believe. They confess, what have thou to do with us, Jesus, thou Son of God? Even Lucifer believes. But everything within those fallen spirits that we know as demons and everything within Satan himself is designed so they will not believe in God and to destroy the, the faith of those who do believe. But we can keep our faith alive as long as we don't put our God in a box and try to limit him to our material world or to the limitations of our life. With God, Jesus says, all things are possible. So pray, plead with the Lord that he will open the eyes of your lost friends. 
Plead with the Lord as Jesus pled over the city of Jerusalem. Plead as Paul prayed and pled for people to be saved. And don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when people like Becky come to faith in Christ early, like the child we baptized who came to Christ early. But don't be surprised either by those that it takes a long time because faith happens to people in different ways. You know, if you read the story of the Philippian jailer and that's the only story you read, then you think everybody comes to Jesus in the moment. But then there are people like John Newton and there are people like Paul Bunyan that it took years for them to cross the line. I said Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan. Something just didn't sound right there. <laughs> John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. But all of their questions led them to commit their lives to God. And that's what our questions should do. Lead us to a deeper and greater faith and greater commitment than ever before. <laughs> commit. Sometimes people tell me, say, well, I just don't like to commit. <laughs> You commit when you buy a house. You don't know what the next 30 years, 20 years are going to hold, but you commit when you buy a house. Zach, Rachel, you just don't have any idea. <laughs> but you're committing to one another, and for the next 12 weeks, we're going, to, we're going to explore what marriage means. We're going to have fun together. We're going to have good questions. and I'm going to challenge you. And we're going to explore what does it mean to commit. It's why we commit to small groups and we say we're going to do life together. It's why we say in that small group, if you're sick, our family's going to be there for you. When you're doing well, our family's going to rejoice with you. Oftentimes people would rather cry with you than rejoice with you. It's why we say as a church, we're going to commit to one another. We're going to commit to Christ. Philip Yancey wrote in a book that I've recommended to you in times past, The Jesus I Never Knew. Speaking of Mary, she heard the angel out. She pondered the repercussions and replied, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Often a work of God comes with two edges, great joy and great pain. And in this matter-of-fact response, Mary embraced both. She was the first person to accept Jesus on his own terms, regardless of the personal cost. Are you willing to take up your cross? Are you willing to be a passionate follower of Christ? Do those words roll off our mouth so easily, passionate follower of Christ? I had one of those Holy Spirit aha moments this week. We've had church after church call us and say, can we use your dream? Can we use your mission statement? We like that celebrating God's love and becoming passionate followers of Christ. And the Bible says, freely you've received, so freely you give. And we've always said yes, but then I had a aha moment because I've always told these churches and I had another one of those calls yes you can use it but you don't need to copy it you need to go through the process and I tell them about the process that we went through but this week I had one of those aha moments 
when suddenly the word passion just blew up in my mind. The word passion had me to pull off the road and bow my head. Because in 20 years since we've wrote that statement, it was the first time I ever thought about this. We talk of the week of Christ's life before he was crucified for our sins as the Passion Week. We watched the movie and we wept together and we rejoiced in God's love for us, the passion of the cross. I'm asking you this morning, this Christmas, are you willing to embrace the Christ of Christmas no matter what the personal cost? Unlike the actress, you can trust him. You know you can trust him. Unlike the actress, there is a litany of people, centuries of people, millennia of people who have trusted in God. Jesus said of your father, he said, you fathers, if you, your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? And how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You can trust God. You can follow God. And you will find the wonder of Christmas, the faith of Christmas that Mary had, that Joseph had, will never end. So let me encourage you this morning, you too can find favor with God. There will come a day when you will hear, if you find favor with God, favor is grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is where God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. You can find favor with God by committing your life to Him. You can find favor with God this morning just simply by admitting your anxieties. You may have questions. You may have doubts. Even as a follower of Jesus, there are going to be times where you go through, and if you haven't, listen to me, if you haven't had these questions, you haven't seriously considered your faith. It's why I appreciated Dr. Craig's response to Nicholas Kristof so much in the Times this week. If you haven't had questions about your faith, you haven't seriously considered, where did all of this come from? How did all of this happen? How was Christ conceived in the womb of the manger. You see, we believe in credulous things. No wonder there are people in the world that believe that Christians are insane because we believe that one day Christ shall return and gather his people unto himself and he shall judge the living and the dead. We believe those things. And it's okay to admit when we have anxieties and say how. But we ask our questions in order that we can believe and we can grow in our faith. We ask those questions not because we want to doubt. I talked to one of our young students this week in the gym, ran over and grabbed me. I was all sweaty and he's back home and he's taking his MCATs for medical school and we talked for a little while and I asked him, I says, has anything you've studied in college so far, has it challenged your faith? Has it caused you to question your faith? He said, Pastor, he says, my faith has been challenged and my faith has been tested. But he said, my faith is stronger. I think of Ian Fariscoe when he graduated from medical school and we sat down here at the Big Bear together. I said, Ian, did you go through anything in college, grad school, medical college that caused you to question your faith? Did it cause you to have doubts? And Ian would email me weekly he said, Pastor, he says, my faith was continually challenged, but I'm a stronger Christian. I'm a better witness now than I was before I went to college. You see, 
We ask questions not to keep from believing, but in order to believe. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, why don't you just say yes to God? And if Jesus, you're his follower and he's calling you to do something, he's laid something upon your heart, maybe to work in bread of life to feed the hungry, maybe to finally become a part of a small group, maybe to serve in ministry, Maybe he's calling you in your retirement years to go and spend a year or two years working in Paraguay with the Guadalupe Indians, or maybe perhaps he's calling you to go and to work as a maps worker in Nepal, or maybe he's calling you somewhere in this world to go and just volunteer. Maybe he's laid it upon your heart to take your summer vacation and go on a missions trip. And you say, oh, but it's unaffordable. Oh, how can I leave my family? Or oh, and all these questions. Don't ask questions to keep from believing. If God has laid it upon your heart, ask questions so that you can get to the yes. It's what a good scientist does. It's what a good pastor does. It's what a good financial investor does. You ask questions to believe. You ask questions to get to the yes. And then finally... Let's sing with joy like we've never sang before. And when we gather for this Christmas Eve service tomorrow night and every light goes out and we light these candles just before we walk out of this place and we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, let's go out of here knowing nothing but nothing can put our light out for Christ. Amen? Stand with me and let me pray with you this morning. The angel said to Mary, the word of God will never fail. This is our confession this morning. This is what I want to bless your people with, Father, before they leave, before we give in our offering. That, Lord, your word will never fail. My word will fail. Their word will fail. But, God, your word will never fail. And if we will build our lives upon your word, And if we will put our faith in you, then our lives, our marriages, our children, God will never fail as long as the generations that succeed us will put their faith in Christ, the Word of God. So now, Lord, as we prepare to worship you with our tithes and our offerings, I ask that we sing and that we give with great joy. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. You know, while your heads are still bowed and before you're seated and no one's looking around, maybe God has calling you to do something. Maybe you've been thinking about your summer vacation or maybe you've been thinking about your retirement years. You could give a year or two. Maybe... God has called you to build a relationship with your neighbor. It's not up to me to just give you suggestions, but you know if the Holy Spirit is leading you to say yes. Or maybe you've just been a lukewarm Christian and it's time to say, God, I want to be a passionate follower of Christ. And knowing the price of that, as I've shared from the Word this morning, you would say, may it be unto me as the Lord has said. Or maybe you just need to cross the line and give your heart to Jesus. Would you just pray with me? Just pray quietly. It's nobody else's business. Just pray quietly. Say, Lord, 
I'm saying yes to you. I want all of my questions to lead me to faith. And I don't understand it all. And friend, I'm telling you, I don't understand it all, but I believe. I don't understand it all, Lord. But as much as I know how, I put my faith in Jesus Christ today. I say yes to you, to what you're calling me to do. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. We've got another special treat for you this morning. Pastor Corey, I mean, that would be awful. Pastor Rick, I mean, Mark is coming to play the saxophone for you this morning. I need one more cup of coffee right away. <laughs>